First Timothy chapter four. Right on. Let's uh, let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we just thank you that we could gather around the, the word of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. It's living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, here at CTK, we love the word of God because the written word leads us to the living word, Jesus. And Jesus, you're what we want. You're what we desire. As we come to the word this morning, Lord, we don't want to get anything confused. This is not about religion. It's, it's not about spiritual exercise and all these things. This is about us meeting with you, your people, hearing you speak from your heart to us. And so, Lord, we pray that, that as we wrestle through the text this morning, Lord, that your word being that, that sharp double-edged sword would just cut through all of the stuff and pierce our hearts. We pray, Jesus, this morning that you would be made manifest in our lives and that we would be changed and that the character of the living God would be produced in us. And so, Lord, may this be an effective, powerful time as we uh, wrestle through your word. Lord, may your spirit anoint it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we're continuing on our series in uh, 1 Timothy, and we've been looking at the teaching of uh, the Apostle Paul to this young pastor, Timothy. He's in the city of Ephesus. Uh, lots of guests this morning here, so I'll bring some of them up a little bit to speed on, on where we've been and where the discussion's been. But um, Paul has been addressing for Timothy uh, the way that the gospel practically works itself out in the lives of men and women. You know, often we get the, the message of 1 Timothy mixed up. We think that 1 Timothy is about church structure and government and leaders and all these things. And it is. He touches on all those things. But ultimately, the, the heart of what, what Paul is doing in 1 Timothy is he's saying this. Timothy, the gospel has got to impact that city, Ephesus. It's got to practically work itself out in the lives of those who profess the name of Jesus. There needs to be real, true, genuine transformation in their lives. And so, as we've been going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we've been seeing how uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that transformation particularly works it out in certain, works itself out in certain ways. Last week, he talked uh, specifically about how you, the kind of leaders that you choose and how the gospel needs to affect that. And today, Paul, he, Paul's going to talk to Timothy in chapter 4 about his own life as a pastor, how the gospel needs to touch him. And so when we were in chapter 1, you know, Paul called Timothy to teach sound doctrine, to proclaim the gospel, to defend the faith. In chapter 2, when we were there, he, he taught him about the priority of prayer within the church and with God's people, that we're to pray for all people. That we're to pray for those that are in authority and kings and those in, in government. That we might lead peaceable lives. He, he talked about the order of men and women. That men are not to fight with their fists but to learn to pray. That, that women are called to follow the lead and, and walk in submission. And he talked about tough stuff that the church is called to do as God brings back the order of creation through the work of the cross and in his church. And then last week, uh, you know, Paul laid out for us the directives of kind of just establishing church leadership and the quality of men that Timothy should be looking for, you know, reminding him that the church is called to be the pillar and buttress of truth. 
The church holds out the great and mysterious work of God and the person and of his son, Jesus Christ. And so now as we come to chapter four here, uh, Paul's going to give Timothy some instruction how he can be a man of God in the midst of God's people. He's the pastor. And so specifically to him, Paul speaks and he says, you need to have good godly growth happening in your life. But what I love about this text is this, is that it's not just instruction for Timothy. Yes, it was very personal for him at this time. But... It's stuff that we can all take and apply to every one of our lives. And so before we move forward into 1 Timothy chapter 4, I want, to, I want us to get our bearings with a look at the end of uh, chapter 3, at, starting at verse 14. Paul says this, 1 Timothy three fourteen. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is a mystery of godliness. He, speaking of Jesus, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. I, I really think the more I've been working through this, the, this letter of 1 Timothy, that those verses right there, verses 14 to 16, are the hinge that this letter turns on. And in the midst of talking about men and, and women and church leaders and el- elders and deacons, there's this whole conversation happening that the gospel has got to practically transform your life and change you. And it's got to be real, and it's got to be genuine, and it's got to be a sincere work of the Lord in your heart. And Paul says there's a mystery about godliness. There's a mystery about how God changes our character and changes us on the inside. But the key to the mystery is this. Jesus. He was manifest in the flesh. God descended from glory from eternity, and he clothed himself in human flesh. And John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Manifested in the flesh. See, Jesus is the mystery of God revealed. Jesus is the mystery of godliness revealed. And, you know, just trying to describe that. I mean, we talked a little bit about that at Koinonia, I hope, in in your different groups. We talked about, man, how how do you understand God taking on human flesh and becoming a man? It's just surrounded and shrouded in mystery. Uh, you, You blow your mind trying to, you know, just break that all down. The, the, the truth is so deep that it's just as much as we can grasp, but it seems beyond human capability to really understand that God became flesh. And I think that's the point that Paul is making. And I think it's the point of this whole letter. That for God to produce godly character in you, the same thing must happen. God must manifest himself in you. Just like Jesus came from heaven and clothed himself in human flesh. So Jesus must manifest his godliness in my life. It's his work. You know, I don't want character that's just rooted in religious practice. 
So it's Sunday, let's go to church. We don't want character that's rooted in ritual or in our own personal discipline. We want character that is rooted in the work of God's spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Transform from the inside out. Isn't that what we want? He was manifested in the flesh. You and I need the, the indwelling of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our lives. You know, when someone were to ask you maybe, hey, what, what makes you the way you are? What, what are your beliefs about? What, which, why are you how you are? The answer should be this. Jesus changed me. He transformed. I met Jesus and it changed my life. You know, Paul says about Jesus, he was vindicated by the spirit. Vindicated, that means he was declared righteous, justified before God. And so too, you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, are vindicated by the spirit. We're declared righteous, justified by faith because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. You know, if you, if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit has something to say about your life. Vindicated, justified, righteous before God. Not on the basis of works, but on faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we move to the next chapter here, Paul's, Paul's going to say the spirit has another message. The spirit has a message about Jesus. He's vindicated. He has a message about you. If you believe in him, you're vindicated and you're righteous and you're justified before God. But he has another message and he's going to take us. You know, if, if 316 here is the mountaintop, we're going to come back down to earth here. Okay, so we ready? Back down to earth. Verse 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, latter times, some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to the teaching of demons. So, like I said, Paul's going to talk here to Timothy about good, godly growth in his own life. But before he does that, he's going to give a little bit of definition what's bad growth, what's bad influence. He's going to point Timothy to the truth, but to do that, he's going to do a little exposing of the false. He says this, some will depart from the faith. You know, there's so many arguments about some of that discussion, departing, departing from the faith. You know, some people would say, hey, once you've received salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, it cannot be lost. And with that, I wholeheartedly agree. But the spirit of God says that in latter times, some will abandon their faith. And there's a difference between losing your faith and abandoning their faith, your faith. See, Jesus said this, no one can snatch them out of my hand. He said in John 10, 29, my, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. But here's the thing about the hand of Jesus. It, it seems to be an open hand. You know, you cannot lose your salvation, but you can abandon it. You can leave it you can depart from it. And Paul says this to Timothy, I'm warning you, the spirit of God is warning us that in the midst of the church will be found those who depart from the faith. Paul actually said that to this same church in his first letter in Ephesians. And now as he writes to young Timothy, who's pastoring that Ephesian church, he, he's already warned this church about the infiltration of false teachers. And now he says to Timothy the same thing. 
You know, I was just thinking about it. It's, it's tough to keep faith in God pure, isn't it? You know, the world and, and my flesh and the devil have launched an assault against every one of us, against the church, upon the things of God. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are at work to destroy the work of God's spirit. You know, the world is enticing me and inviting me to live with its value system. My flesh is demanding that I fulfill every lustful appetite that it has. The devil is seeking to accuse me and slander me. And he's lying to me about the nature of God. He's lying to me about the nature of Jesus and about myself. His, his aim is to murder, to kill, to, stro- to destroy. And so if we, we're... To be men and women of God, we need clear definitions. We need the, the Lord's help in doing that. And so that's some of what uh, Timothy is going to do here. And I think part of the warning is this. Uh, you know, history actually tells us that the church, when the church is persecuted, the church flourishes in the midst of persecution. What was that? <laughs> the church flourishes in the midst of persecution. You know, persecution means God's people uh, have to take a stand. Persecution means that, that if I'm the real deal, then I have to identify myself with Jesus Christ. You know, it's been said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know, I would say Satan's learned that. You know, he, he saw what happened when the Roman Empire killed, you know, an estimated six million Christians in those first few few centuries, the church grew and the church flourished and it took off. And so, you know, often the strategy of Satan is this. He wants to lull people to sleep spiritually. To just sing them a lullaby and draw them into sleep. And, and you know, there's certainly a, a sense that in the midst of days in prosperity and blessing, as compared to those days of persecution, it's easy to just slumber spiritually when life is good. And Paul says this, in later times, some will depart from the faith. Not referring to sometime in the future, but to the era in which Timothy lived and the era in which we lived. Post the cross. Post Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the period of grace. Even during the day of grace, some will depart from the faith. And there seems to be this sense here as you read it that it's, it's not that they willingly leave Jesus, but deception and, and deceiving, seducing, misleading spirits sell them lies and they follow their doctrine. He calls it the doctrine of demons. They devote themselves to it. That's the key word in verse one right there. The word devotion, devoting. means to follow something. Actually, the ultimate meaning of that, look out in the harbor, it means to bring a ship into the harbor. He says, into their lives, they bring these doctrines and teachings and it deceives them. It seduces them. It puts them to sleep spiritually. And so what we're going to get from Paul here is a constant comparison between those who depart from the faith and Timothy, called to be a man of faith. You, called to be men and women of faith. And so knowing that there's always potential for deception, We need to know how to identify, right? So he's going to talk a little bit about it. Where and how? How does the deceiving come? He says this, verse two, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Look at false teachers are hypocrites. 
They, they always say one thing and then they practice another. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. False teachers tell their disciples what to do. And then when it comes to their own lives, it's hypocrisy. They don't do what they said. One of the things that's to mark a man like Timothy and men and women like us is this. True servants of God should have honesty and they should walk in integrity. And if there's, there's one theme that we've been seeing throughout 1 Timothy, it's this. The gospel means genuine, sincere, real transformation in your life. Jesus should manifest himself in your flesh and through your life. That doesn't mean perfection, right? We talked about that last week. I mean, inspect my life. You will not find perfection. I'll guarantee you that. No one's perfect but God. But what you should find is something real and sincere and genuine, a transformation that is a work of God. False teachers, it's like their conscience has been seared, cauterized. You know, it's been destroyed. There, there's, there's, the sensitivity to the things of God is, is gone. To morality is gone. And it, and it leads to hypocrisy. They say one thing out of one side of their mouth. And with their lives, they lead a whole other thing. And Jesus said, the key to identifying them is examine the fruit. Behavior reveals belief. And when the conscience gets seared, or it, it's, it's seared when we affirm things with our lips and we deny it with our lives. He says in verse 3, speaking of the false teachers who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. You know, I would say this, first flag for false teaching. Beware teaching that messes with marriage. I love Mark's stuff that we're going to see at the end of the month, man, he's going to deliver and it's good stuff. Marriage is God's creation. Marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's will. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. You know, leave your family of origin and cleave to your spouse. Cleave to your wife. And you know, we, we, we live in this world where the culture and the world in many ways is devaluing the institution of marriage. De devaluing that, that commitment that people have to one another and even trying to redefine what marriage is. And here's the reason why. Look at, look at verse four. We'll read ahead for a minute. For everything created by God is good, it says. See, the world does not understand that God is good. That it's inherent in his nature. It's who he is. He can't deny it. And so when God gives something, it's for the purposes of, of good. And marriage is good. But those who deny God reject ultimately the beautiful picture of marriage. You know, God in his inherent goodness said, it's not good for a man to be alone. You know, we're hanging out with family this week, having such an awesome time. It's just been great. And one of the things we were, we were yapping about the other night was uh, just getting married. We pulled out some of the wedding albums and we were looking at them and making fun of my mom and the wedding party and the 70s look. And soon it will be my turn one day. But we had our wedding out, album out and it was like, Wow. You guys are young. <laughs> yeah, we were young. 22. It's 22 years old. I, I look at some of you guys, 22 in the room here. You don't know nothing, man. No, I didn't know nothing when I was 22. 
But you know what? Marriage was God's design. And he said, it's not good for Matt to be alone. <laughs> You're not designed to be alone. You know, that's not good for you to be alone. And marriage is God's design for you. It's beautiful. I thank God for my marriage. You know, false teachers will mess with that. They'll mess with that whole picture and design in scripture. They'll also do this, Paul says. They'll require abstinence from foods that God created. You know, they just create this system of, of false spirituality, which makes, you know, moral perfection based on the things that you resist and that you abstain from. You know, it's like austerity and severe practices in their lives, and it shows how spiritual we are. That, we're, that, that there's sanctity and there's holiness in our lives. Meanwhile, they're, they're preaching false doctrine. It's, it's doing this. It's creating a spiritual facade. Again, the other day, you know, we did our, our trip to Disney World there a couple years back, as you guys know. And the other day, we were talking about it and, and just yapping about it. And Disney World, is just, it's the magic kingdom, man. It's, it's awesome. But we were talking about how underneath it is an entire city where all the garbage goes, where all the infrastructure happens. Where it's, and it's all below the surface. You never See it with the eye. I mean, that's what the magic kingdom's about, right? Perfection and fantasy and magic. And false teachers create the facade, but they don't deal with the underground system. They don't have their hearts touch. And so he says, man, if they mess with food, watch for that. I, I would say this, beware teachers who mess with God's creation. That's, that's what he says here. That God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You know, in the beginning, God created and God said, it is good. There's not clean and unclean foods. Jesus stated that all, all foods are clean. You know, you can, you can have allergies. You can be allergic to lactose, lactose intolerant or wheat allergies or whatever it is. But the idea is here is scripturally, you don't use scripture as a reason to reject any food. I have the freedom to eat. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to eat this afternoon when the Super Bowl's on. We're going to eat. Okay, you have the freedom to eat. But I don't use that freedom to destroy this body. I don't use that freedom to tear others down and set bad example. And false teachers, the, the warning here is they'll use diet and rules about diet to gain power over people. I would say this, you know, when you simply believe in Jesus, when you know the truth, the Bible says that the truth sets you free. You're not impressed with the do's and the don'ts of those who practice lives of legalism and religion and rules. Jesus set you free. He who has the son is free indeed. Verse four and five, he says this, for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You know, I would say this. What do we do? We celebrate our freedom. We pray constantly. That's been a theme of 1 Timothy. We give thanks continually. You know, we, we don't put our emphasis on food. We don't measure our lives by the legalisms, but we measure our lives by the word of God and by prayer. In verse 6, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith 
and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Here it is, the good godly growth part. He says this, if you do this, Timothy, for you, for you and I, if, if you live with this structure and understanding and these teaching, he says here to Timothy, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. See, Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you know, don't, don't turn your ministry into something that invests its energy in arguments about food, that, you know, bickers about marriage. You know, just point, point out these false teachings. Keep the focus on Jesus. Don't spend your time on forbidden things. Rather, just point to the simple fact that God, in his inherent nature, is good. He's good, and he loves us. You know, Timothy, if you, if you want to be a good minister... They keep the main thing, the main thing, Timothy. And the main thing is Jesus. Jesus. You know, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you followed, he says. You know, over the last few days, just because there's been so much family time, we seriously have been eating. You know, on Thursday night, it was like Amy made the spread. It was Indonesian food. It was awesome. Friday night, it was at my place, and it was barbecue and salmon and chicken and salads. It was great. Last night, we went out for Japanese. Today, it's like chili. It's football food. It's going to be good. False teachers are concerned about their diet. Paul says this, the godly man, the godly man should also be concerned about what nourishes him, but it's not food. Nourish yourself with the truths of the faith and good teaching. Nourish your spiritual life. If there's something you're going to nourish, Timothy, nourish the spiritual life. See, a good minister needs to warn God's people about false teachers, needs to warn God's people about apostasy, but we don't spend our time talking about such things all the time. Just when it's appropriate, I, I would say this, it's like this for Timothy. Along the road, you know, you drive down the road today, you can leave here and head home, and on the road, you, you'll see uh, si- two, two types of signs. Signs that are telling you where you're going, and signs that are warning you about the dangers along the road. And, and that's the same idea for Timothy. Tell them where they're going, warn them about the signs of danger along the road. And in that, in that verse there, verse 6, You'll notice the very last word of verse 6. Of the good doctrine that you have followed. That's that same word that we saw earlier. It's the word bringing the ship into the harbor. He says if there's something you're going to bring into the harbor of your life. You're going to let this ship tie up. Let it be SS good teaching. Okay. Nourish yourself with the truths of the faith, Timothy. Verse 7 and 8 says this. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So don't, don't waste your life on, you know, godless myths and wives' tales. Don't waste your times on, on things that contradict the word of God and have no basis in the scripture. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I invest a lot of time in my physical training. In my physique. 
No, just kidding. Obviously. No, um, actually, last time I went to cross the border, we were going through the regular questions from the, from the customs officer, and we were yapping about this and yapping about that, and I noticed that he kept staring at my arms. And I thought, what the heck, man? This guy's weird. And then he said to me, um, do you have a license for those guns? Oh. Hey, look, the Greek culture, the Greek culture, just like our culture was the type of culture that was like really into physique and emphasize the body. That wasn't one for you, Ben. It, you know, it, it's good that you should eat right. It's good that you should have physical exercise. You know, there's benefits to taking care of your body, of course. Diet and taking care of your body, it matters. You should do it. It's good. But the benefit of investing in yourself spiritually, Paul says, it, it far outweighs the physical benefits of exercise. You know, spiritual exercise has a lot of benefits. I would say this, you know, if you get to choose between Bible study and bodybuilding, choose the Bible study. If it's a choice between, you know, worship or working out, worship. You know, here's a good exercise. Assume the position of prayer, man. Spend some time in prayer. Here's a good exercise, a morning workout. Ooh, sit at the kitchen table with your breakfast and flip open the Bible and spend some time in the Word. Spiritual exercise. You know, memorize some scripture. Spend time with God's people. Come to koinonia. Come to men's breakfast. Invest spiritually in your life. See, he says this, godliness has value for all things. It's, it's win-win in your life when you invest spiritually in following Jesus. And, and the amazing part of the win-win is it's not just for today, present life right now, but for the future, for eternity. It will pay benefits and dividends. You know, I remember a, a conversation we had a few years ago where someone was talking about how much working out they were doing, but in reality they knew that it only added a slight fraction to their life, all that work on their health. And so I'd say this. It's good to practice physical health and fitness, but don't neglect spiritual training in the midst of that. Your body is not the master. Your body's to be the servant. So you make it the servant. You don't live for your body. You discipline your body and you put it in its place. You let Jesus manifest in the flesh. Verse 9 and 10, he says this. This is a trustworthy saint. This is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all who believe, uh, is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. There's that word trustworthy. We've been seeing again over and over and over through 1 Timothy. It's like every chapter he drops in one. This is trustworthy. Take what I'm saying here and hang on to it. This deserves your acceptance, your full acceptance. It's amazing how many times he does that in this little letter. He's talking about training for godliness. You know, spiritual exercise, just like physical exercise, is not easy. You have to labor. You, you do have to strive. Just like in physical exercise, you know, resistance builds strength. 
Repetition builds muscle memory. You know, the first rule in discipleship is always repeat, repeat, repeat. Repeat. And we're to commit ourselves to training. We, we, ex, we expand, we're to expand energy on the development of godliness in our life. But at the same time, like we saw at the end of chapter three, we're trusting God to infuse his power. We're trusting God by his spirit to work through us. We're trusting God that Jesus will be manifest in the flesh as we do such things. And so it's trustworthy and it deserves our acceptance. He says this, we, we, we set our hope on the living God. The living God. As compared to godless idols that have no life in them, stone and wood. We, we set our hope on the living God. He calls him the savior of all men. Not, not, not implying universal salvation, but meaning this, that that Jesus, in Jesus, is the power to save all men. In Jesus, and the ransoming work for mankind that he did on the cross by the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins, is for all who would believe and receive. There's no limit to that bank account. No one needs to despair that salvation in Jesus Christ is not for them. Now the Bible says he... He died for you that you might live. No one, no one that comes to him in faith is excluded. You know, here's another trustworthy saying that he said in chapter one, if you were to look back, he said this, it's trustworthy. This deserves your acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he said of himself, and I'm the chief of them all. Chapter two, he said this, God, our Savior, desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so as, as Paul is talking to Timothy and we're applying it to our lives, I mean, we, we, we've got to just see and know and accept in our hearts that the church was never meant to be this elitist uh, clique that became insular and, and failed to reach out to the world around it. The message that Paul is saying here is this, look, anyone who who will receive it, will be saved. Anyone can believe and receive. Jesus is the savior of all people, but especially those who believe. And so I would say this, you know, if I was busting down what Paul said, I was, you know, just in the theme, big picture, he's saying this, keep your sights on the God who saved you. Keep your sights on Jesus. Main thing, the main thing, Timothy, Jesus Jesus. Verse 11, command and teach these things. It's a military, it's military language. It's a charge. Uh, there's a lot of military language actually in, in this letter to Timothy. It's like Paul's received instructions from the commander in chief and as a superior officer, he's handing them down to his, his junior officer. And so, command and teach these things, Timothy. A, a good minister reminds people of these things. Keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus. A, a good minister, good godly growing people who are following God, they, they learn to exercise spiritually. And as you grow, verse 12, he says this. 
Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I, that, that's, a challenging, that's a challenging text right there. You know, I just think, you know, ask yourself this. What, what if everyone followed your lead? You know, what if they attended church like you? What if they gave like you? What if they had a quiet time like you? What if they prayed like you? What if they shared their faith like you? I mean, look, we all know it's easy to tell people what to do. Anyone can do that. That's what the false teacher does. He tells people what to do. To Timothy, Paul says this, you do it. You do it. it take the lead. You know, I'm, I, I'm reminded from our trip to Israel, you know, some of our trips we've done to Israel there, as we talk, it's so fascinating when you go over there and you see the military stuff that's going on. As we all know, it, man, it just infiltrates all the news and it's in everything. And the structure of their army is laid out this way, that the officer leads. He doesn't stand back and say, you go there and you go there and you're front lines. He says, follow me. And he goes. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. He says, no, no. You lead the way. You set the standard. You be the example. You know, I'd say, do you, do you preach to yourself? Do you, do you realize that you can only take people as far as you yourself are willing to go with the Lord? Be the example. You want to lead someone or your family or you want to be a leader in the church? Then you don't tell people how to get there. You yourself go there and you do the work. You do it. Anyone can tell. He's saying this, walk the talk, man. Walk it. You know, um, the days are bygone, but there used to be a time when people would visit here and they'd come around and they'd go, you're the, you're the pastor? Are you kind of young? Gray hair is kind of starting to give me away now. Those were good days. Doesn't happen anymore. But I used to think to myself, well, what am I going to do? I, I'm 30, okay? I'm not going to argue with that. However they want to define my life despite of my age, I better lead by example. And you know, you can get defined that way even if you're old or young. Oh, they're old. Write them off. <laughs> oh, they're young. I, I've done that with you, Ross. <laughs> Love you, man. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> look you can write the old off you can write the young off Paul says forget people's attitude about you follow me as I follow Christ let's go amen verse 13 he says this until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching devote yourself to this Timmy that means this give your attention to this be absorbed in this, in your role, Timothy. And you know, for, for the man and for the woman of God, I say this. Look, the word of God is not some side gig. It's the gig. That's what he's saying. Read it. Exhort it. Teach it. Declare it. Proclaim it. It's the gig. Make sure you're growing in the faith. Make sure you're in the word. Be a student of the word of God. He, he talks here about public reading of scripture. I think about, you know, uh, this year we didn't do it, but for the last two years, uh, 2012, 
In 2013, we did a 90-day read through the Bible as a church to start off the year in the first few months. And it was awesome, man. Both the two years we did it, you know, spiritual stuff was just happening. God was changing people's lives. And it was just like, man, people are reading the Bible. That's what happens. It's, it nourishes us spiritually and it changes our lives. And, and Paul tells Timothy, read the word, explain the word, apply the word for people. Give your attention to it because when you're a growing minister, it'll make for a growing church. Roots going deep. Maybe not wide, but they'll go deep. And you know, from time to time you hear people take shots at the church. Oh, well, you know, the church isn't what it was. You know, they do it different now and it's not. Look at in the day of Nehemiah and Ezra, when revival was happening in the land and they were rebuilding the temple and God was at work. Nehemiah 8.8 says this. This is what the priest did. Direct quote. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense so that the people could understand what was being read. That was it. That was the job. That's how it worked. And we seek to do the same thing. That's why we're a verse by verse, chapter by chapter church. We read it. We try and make sense of it so that we can all understand and live it. Let me ask you this. Are you growing spiritually? Are, are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? It happens here in the word. Verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid hands on you. You know, I guess on some level, there was this personal struggle for Timothy uh, because, you know, often Paul was encouraging him with such words, you know, you know, as we all know, it's easy to invest your time and in, in your energy in all sorts of different directions. And, and Timothy, on some level, was neglecting what was important, neglecting his call. Maybe it was just because of his youth. Maybe it was timidity, as the scripture tells us he was timid. But Paul says this, don't, don't neglect it, Timothy. Invest your energy there. You, you know, know that where God has called you, he's equipped you. Where God guides, God provides our, our ministry comes from God, Timothy, not from ourselves. Trust him to enable you and to strengthen you and to equip you. But give your attention to it, man. It's not with laziness. Do it with diligence. Get your hands dirty and cultivate your gifts, Timothy. Use them to serve God. Verse 15. Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Like I said, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. That means spiritual life and the ministry to which God has called you, each, each one of us, is to be the absorbing focus of your life. Devote yourself to the pursuit of Jesus Christ. And I think of me sports all the time, okay? Okay. Look, the kingdom of God, there's no fourth line checking roll. I was coaching the kids yesterday. I had one kid. I'm like, you cannot, you're not allowed to take face-offs when it's in our end. When it's in our end, he takes the face-off, okay? We can't have a turnover. That's not the Christian life where it's like, hey, you only get uh, this fourth line checking roll. In the Christian life, you know, when you're sitting on the bench like the fourth liner, atrophy sets in. Spiritual, the, the muscles get cold. And the idea is we're, we're all in the game. Serve the Lord. 
Go serve where he's called you. Verse 15. Wrap it up real quick here, guys. We've been a little long. Verse 15. Practice these things. Sorry, practice these things. I missed verse 14. I don't know what I did. Verse 15, practice these things, devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Uh, That word progress, again, is a military term. It's speaking of making advancement, gaining territory, taking new ground, moving forward. But here's the thing about that word. It's very specific in its military connotation. It means this, go do the pioneering advancement. It's describing a soldier who goes ahead of the troops and he clears obstacles in my mind, minefields. You know, Mark on that video said, we found the mines by driving over them in our marriage. To Timothy, Paul's saying this, you, you clear the mine, you go in and do the work so that the mines are out of the way so that people can follow you. Like I said, you can't lead people where you haven't been. Do the pioneering work. God's work is worthy of all that we can give. Last verse, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, it's a great privilege to get to teach God's word most weeks around here. And, um, you know, one of the best benefits about getting to teach the Bible is that I I don't get to escape its grasp. You know, I have to deal with what God's word says about me. And I have to do it with sincerity and genuineness before the Lord because I don't want to come into this pulpit without doing the work in my own life. And each time as, I, as, you, as you prep and as you spend time in the word of God, it feels like you're coming back to the basics of knowing Jesus all the time. The cross and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and his Soon coming return. And week after week as a church, we're reminded of those basics. And it's because the word of God never moves past that stuff. It's, it's the fundamentals that always have to be there. Just like in sport. There, there's fundamentals involved in skill and you never move beyond them. Doesn't matter, you know, how good your hockey game is or how good your golf game is or your basketball game. If you're a hockey player and you forget how to skate, it's a fundamental, you're done. Your swing goes, you're done. And so he says, persist in this. Keep a close watch on yourself. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Rather than abandon the faith. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. So lots of challenges in this text. Warnings. Heads up. Marriage, dietary rules, touching on creation, signs of false teachers. You, Timothy, main thing, the main thing. Jesus, discipline, grow spiritually, invest in your spiritual life, and train yourself in godliness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we pray, God, that as we wrestle through these things, as we think on these things, Lord, as it, as it touches our hearts and our lives, we pray, God, again, that Jesus would be manifest in our flesh. That you, Jesus, would receive glory and honor from our lives. We pray, God, that increasingly 
our lives would be real and genuine and sincere before you, Lord, that the transformation that you bring by the work of your spirit would be real and true and genuine. God, we pray we wouldn't be hypocrites, but we'd live the real deal. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning and just from each of our own hearts, we confess, Lord, we're sinners, saved by your grace, dependent on the work of the cross. Each day, wrestling to walk in truth and to walk with honesty and integrity before you. God, we ask that you would produce in us the godly character that we're challenged to by the word of God as we go through this text. God, change us, transform us, conform us to the image of Jesus, we pray. In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.